0: And now, it's time for Dr. Bill,
1: your Radio MD. Good morning, everybody. Here I am, right on time, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning on WGUL, AM 860, The Answer. And we're somewhere else. We're on an FM station, aren't we somewhere, Joe?
0: That would be 93.7.
1: 93.7, all right. And so you can rock and roll with us every Sunday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm your international, Dr. Bill, so you can pick me up on the Internet anywhere you are. As long as you have speakers or a headset, you can hook into your computer and you can listen to me anywhere in the world. And by the way, we have people from all over the world listening. South America, Canada. Now a few people in China are trying to get to me. I don't know if the government's allowing me through, but we're hopeful. Well, we are the answer. And you can join the show anytime you want, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. We're also an iHeart station, so you can catch us on your smartphone. Well, I was thinking about the the big to-do that the Democrats are making over the environment, and I thought we better take a little closer look at some of the claims they're making and some of the alternatives to coal and gas and fossil fuel that we're using to produce our electricity. So since the Trump administration has started to loosen the regulations on methane emissions, uh, the left is getting all up in the air and getting their panties in a wad over this. Now, how much of a big deal is this? Well, I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but supposedly we contribute about 60% of the total methane emissions into the atmosphere now this is a simple hydrocarbon gas it's uh, produced not only by the degradation of rotting materials and compressed into oil uh, rotting organic materials i should say but also we make it in our bowels and we pass it as flatus cows pass it Uh, it comes out of swamps and bayous where there's rotting material It comes from a a number of natural sources. It also comes from the ground when we're drilling for oil. And the uh, big push in the past 20 to 30 years has been to harness the methane that we have discovered in the ground, along with the fracking and other ways of bringing fossil fuels out of the earth, and use this as a less polluting, less polluting in the sense that it puts less sulfur and other noxious elements into the atmosphere, but it's still a hydrocarbon, and it still emits carbon dioxide, and this is one of the big deals that uh, the left is worried about. We'll go into how we're actually counterbalancing that. Well, meat methane, it's clear, it's odorless, it's uh, one carbon atom with four hydrogens, it burns, it's uh, simple to, to transport, you just push it through pipes, It can blow up, and it will burn into carbon dioxide and water, which is what all hydrocarbons burn into, including sugar when we burn it in our body. We exhale carbon dioxide and water. So we are uh, fossil fuel machines as well. But it's also a greenhouse gas. Now, it's not a long-acting greenhouse gas, but it is a very light gas, so it will go into the upper atmosphere. Uh, How much Does it contribute to the heating up of the earth if indeed there is a phenomena of the earth heating up from the emission of of greenhouse gases? Not much at all. Not much at all. People think that the biggest problem is carbon dioxide. Actually, the biggest greenhouse gas is water, and we'll get into that later too. Water is still water vapor, clouds, steam, whatever you want to call it. That's the number one greenhouse gas. What happens to water? Well, it doesn't break down very easily and it stays in the atmosphere or it rains down into the oceans and to the rivers, the lakes and onto the land. And actually there's an increase in the amount of water falling on the earth, at least in certain parts of it. And we'll talk about how we can utilize that as an energy source, a renewable energy source. You probably already know hydroelectric power plants and dams uh, We can certainly uh, impound more water, build more dams, uh, use more rivers as they get a little bit bigger with the increase in fresh water that's coming into into the system. We can use that as a a way to generate hydroelectric energy, which is renewable, doesn't excrete any greenhouse gases, and uh, is safe and effective. Of course, the environmentalists don't like this because they say it, upsets the little animals habitats and well you know that's going to happen anyway at any rate so we have this supposed pollutant called methane that we're using that the cows are excreting and that's coming from their their poop their dung their their uh, excrements and this is supposed to be bad oh by the way this is a renewable source of fertilizer that you can spread out over the fields. And if you spread it out, there's less methane emission because it's broken down faster and there's more oxygenation. The methane becomes more of a problem when it's under anaerobic or lack of oxygen uh, degradation, like you have an oil under the ground or coal, which has been compressed for millions of years, rotting organic material without the benefit of oxygen. So we can even decrease the amount of methane released by cows by just spreading the manure around and using it as a fertilizer. So the the mantra is that the bulk of methane that's excreted into our atmosphere comes from us, over 50%. That includes our livestock and our uh, plant, uh, like rice cultivation and waste, waste products. Again, we're back to organic waste, which is poop, uh, um, vegetation that we throw in, rinds, peels, so on and so forth. So a rice field's like a natural wetland, and this gives off methane, just like a, a, a marsh would do. So what happens to this? Well, it sticks around in the atmosphere for, for a few years, and then it's broken back down into carbon dioxide and water. And some people have said, well, why don't we just accelerate the breakdown of this methane through uh, biochemical processes and organic chemistry processes that we can make in factories? And that's a thought. But now the left has not said anything about funding this. No, they don't want to fund this. They want to fund windmills and solar power, which, by the way, are extremely expensive, as we've talked about before. And what are are they upset about with the fracking? Well, with the fracking, especially with the loosening of the regulations on methane emissions by the Trump administration, they're all up in a snit about the increased methane in the atmosphere because they say this is a horrible greenhouse gas. They don't talk about the water in the atmosphere. Well, what about the water? Well, you know, as we... Uh, warm the planet up whether it's us doing it or mother nature or the axis of the earth relative to the Sun or whatever it is there's more fresh water coming into the ocean and of course that's going to evaporate and go into the atmosphere and we're gonna have more rain in some areas and other areas less rain as the weather patterns change and by the way rainfall has increased in the Ohio Mississippi Valley and I would guess to a certain extent up the Missouri Valley a little bit those are our three main rivers east of the Rockies. That's our, our our catch basin, our water basin. And so we've got more water flowing down these two, fresh water flowing down these two rivers. Okay, let's use it. Let's impound this water. Let's build some more hydroelectric, hydroelectric plants, uh, either through dams or diversion. You can divert some of this river water uh, into a channel or a canal off the side of the river that goes back into the river, and that running water can spin a turbine, which then can then create electricity with a magnet, a huge magnet and an electric coil. That's how we make electricity. And the reverse of that, when you take that and you put electricity into it, is an electric motor because it turns the little, the little wheel spinning around that has the, uh, has the magnet on it. And that's an electric motor. And the other thing that you have to remember when we're talking about electric motors, by the way, is that right now the majority of the electricity that is used to run these motors, like in cars, like the Tesla and other electric uh, uh, motor cars and appliances, it comes from fossil fuel, most of it. About a third to a quarter to a third of it comes from other sources, but uh, probably half of it comes from fossil fuel burning we get some of our electricity from our big hydroelectric plants, Uh, we get it from fossil fuel plants, we get it from nuclear reactor plants, basically they all work the same way. Somehow or another they turn a great big turbine that turns a magnet inside of a coil of copper wire and that produces electrons and pushes them out. So Actually, the large oil and gas companies have voiced opposition to deregulating methane. Uh, Natural gas, as I said, is less, quote, quote, polluting and has less CO2 emissions of coal uh, because it burns more cleanly. It's not that uh, the carbon is in any way altered in it. It's just that you don't have as efficient uh, burning of the the, uh, coal fire as you do with a with a methane fire it's a simpler molecule so it it's more more likely to combust and so there are reasons that the industry does not want to see more uh, methane escape they want it captured they want the leaks patched and they want that lost gas that's that's going into the atmosphere because of the the nature of this one carbon molecule that it can more easily escape into the atmosphere from a drilling site or a fracking site, and they say, look, this is money. We're losing money here. Let's let's do something to capture this methane that's leaking around the, the uh, wellheads and around the fracking sites and uh, out of the swamps or out of the cow pastures, whatever. Let's figure out a way to capture this and use it. Well, that's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. Now, the Trump administration deregulated some of the rules regarding methane capture and release to stimulate industry because of the cost of doing this. And we can certainly figure out ways to do this efficiently uh, to capture these methane burps. Uh, these methane flatulences of the earth and of the cows and of you and me and of our, our byproducts, we can do that. That's not an undoable thing. So will this have a great impact on the environment? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows. But certainly the the economics of it makes sense. Why not recapture it and use it? Let's do it. So what are these things? These things we call hydrocarbons, these uh, organic molecules that we burn, uh, this uh, this source of power, and and why is it so popular? Well, because it has so much energy stored up in it that when you burn it, a small amount releases a great deal of energy and can be utilized uh, to turn a turbine in a in a coal or gas fired. Power plant, or you can use it as gasoline to make your pistons in your car go up and down by having little tiny miniature explosions going off in the cylinders, and that drives the piston head up and down. And uh, it, it it takes a very small amount to go a very great distance, which is not true with many other energy sources that we have that are practical and uh, economical at this point in time. So that's why. Fossil fuel has won out over all the other fuels. And at the turn of the last century, electric cars were being experimented with. And there was a lot of uh, hoopla that electric cars would be less polluting, even in 1900, than uh, a a carbon fuel-based car. So now we got to think of alternatives. I'm not a big fan of solar or wind power because... If the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. In addition, it's requiring a great deal of government subsidies to bring it to fruition, to make it into some kind of economically uh, feasible source of energy and make it an industry that will actually pay for itself in the long run. And we still don't know the long-term effects because everything, everything has uh, some form of pollution. So if you want to use the most natural sources, then you're going to use those that are here on the Earth that we have ready access to, that are highly concentrated, that can produce a lot of energy for a small amount of material. We just need to figure out ways to uh, recapture the uh, byproducts of this and recycle them back into things that are useful for us. So what about hydroelectric power? I mentioned that earlier. Why don't we just impound more water? I mean, if there's excess water in the atmosphere right now, if the sea levels are rising and uh, NOAA says they've gone up a couple of inches in the past hundred years, I'm not sure of the science behind this. I don't. I don't know how they quite estimate this. But they feel that the oceans are rising a little bit. And this is not just from freshwater melt from the uh, north and south polar caps. Water expands when it either heats up or freezes. It's a unique molecule. Most molecules and most substances will shrink when you freeze them, but water will expand. And it will also expand when you heat it. And if you heat it enough, it expands into, guess what? Steam, gas, clouds. And there you have a source of capturing heat from the sun. That's the biggest pollutant. It's it's just water in the atmosphere. Uh, the greenhouse gas that is heating the planet up the most is water. So let's capture it. We can capture it. We can build more dams. We can build reservoirs. And we can use the stored up energy in these dams, uh, these lakes, and these reservoirs to turn big hydroelectric turbines that will then turn the magnets inside of the huge electric coils, and that produces electricity. And if you ever have a chance to see the, uh, the Hoover Dam out, if, if you ever go out to Las Vegas, it's a short drive, and go take a tour of the interior of the workings of the hydroelectric dam at uh, uh, Lake Mead, uh, the Hoover Dam that was built during uh, the Great Depression. It, It is utterly fascinating. There's no pollution. There's no hydrocarbon emissions. There's no gasoline. There's no coal. There's no methane. It's just water turning a huge turbine that then turns a huge magnet or magnets, multiple of them actually, inside of these large copper coils. And that's how we get our electricity. That's it right there. So why don't we do that? And if you don't like impounding the water and making dams along the Ohio and the Mississippi and the Missouri River, if you think that's uh, too egregious and hurts the planet too much and harms the little fishes and, uh, you know, destroys the ecosystem that you grew up with, By the way, ecosystems change, whether you want them to or not, whether we're here or not, the ecosystems on the planet have changed over time. That's just part of the evolution of the nature of the planet. We're not going to stop that. We can affect it. You know, the ecosystem has changed in the Great Plains. It used to be populated with millions of buffalo. Now it's populated with millions of people and millions of cows. Well... You say, well, that's terrible, the poor buffalo, and they added something to the atmosphere and to the ecology and on and on. They're just big cows. They're bovines for God's sakes. So we replaced them with cows that we domesticated that do things for us and we do things for them. If you wanna go domesticate buffaloes, I'm sure that that's a, a feasible thing to do. And then you can milk the buffaloes and you can have buffalo burgers but come on i mean you know you're 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 talking uh, apples and oranges you're talking as if a cow is significantly different and has a significantly different effect on the on the ecology than a buffalo would hey guess what it does not they are the same so we can get hydroelectric power if you don't want to build dams you can build diversion channels in rivers You can build them all up and down the Ohio and the Mississippi and the Missouri. And you can have these channels funnel water through. And there's a way you can structure these things so that you narrow them down as you get closer to the end of it where the turbines are. That increases the speed of the water, which will increase the speed of the turbines, more energy, turn more magnets, create more electricity. We can do that all up and down the Ohio and the Mississippi In the Missouri River. That's not that big of a deal. And we can create smaller generator plants in multiple places. We'll have to push the electricity less of a distance, so we save power there because there's a drop in power, just like there's a drop in power when you push water through a a line or down your hose into your garden. If you want higher flow and a longer hose, you've got to turn the volume of it up. And so we can push electrons shorter distances by having more smaller, redundant plants using hydroelectric power. We can also store the water like we used to, and I'm sure a lot of communities still do store their water in big overhead Water towers. Remember those things we used to climb when we were kids and the police would come and tell us to get down? Well, you can store water there. You can pump it up and then when you need to turn some turbines and create some electricity, you can open the spigot and let it go. So there's different ways that we can impound water or utilize water or divert water, which there apparently is an excess of free water now. And make electricity with this. Why are we chasing the wind, which may or may not blow? Why are we chasing the sun, which may or may not shine on our woefully uh, inadequate solar panels at this point? I mean, I don't have a problem with putting a solar panel on my home if it's cost efficient. I think that's a good idea. If we can get the cost down, every new home should have solar panels and create some of its own electricity. We can put it back into the grid, what we don't use. So one of the greatest projects in my lifetime is the Tennessee Valley Authority of Hydroelectric Power Plants. And they're all up and down the Kentucky and Tennessee uh, Riverways, the Kentucky River, the Tennessee River. Uh, Different plants have gone up, and actually there isn't... You probably didn't know this, Joe. You know, you can go from Knoxville, Tennessee, through this channel of interconnected waterways that are man-made, all the way to the Ohio River. You can wind your way all the way through Kentucky and Tennessee and make your way all the way up to the Ohio River. Is that right? that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You can do it. It'll take you a couple of weeks because you've got to go through all these locks and uh, over these dams and down these waterways. But you can actually do it. Have you if done you it? Can. I have not, but I have seen a lot of the of uh, the uh, waterways of Kentucky and Tennessee because, of course, I grew up in Louisville, and uh, we would would go down to Cumberland Lake, and we've been to Kentucky River and the land between the lakes, and I've lived in Tennessee, and I've lived on Watts Bar Reservoir, which is the oldest of the Tennessee Valley Authority reservoirs, which is where the electricity for the big Oak Ridge uh, nuclear plant came from when we were first developing the nuclear bomb and developing uh, nuclear power. And that uh, that's a very fascinating part of the world, but you can actually take that waterway all the way through uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and end up on the Ohio and go down to the Mississippi, and you can end up in the Gulf of Mexico. And if you have, if you're friends with uh, Elon Musk, you can even put your little boat on a rocket ship and go to Mars. But I don't think many people want to do that yet. So that's a pretty cool thing that we can do. So there's a lot of pluses to this, and people say, well, yeah, you're ruining you're, you're the little animals' habitats. Hey, let me tell you, the little animals are doing just fine. They're doing just fine, and I got buddies that are hunters, and they have started these wild turkey repopulation programs, and elk, and deer. And when I was growing up, Joe, there were no wild turkeys left in Kentucky to speak of. They're everywhere now. You'd go down any back road; they're all over Florida too. You go down into the into the inner parts and the wild parts of Florida. There's wild turkey. There's wild boar. There's there's wild deer, there's, I mean, there's, there's fox, there's cougars, there's all kinds of things. The animals have not gone away. They're still here. And if you think about it, what's the difference if you kill the little, uh, one little species of fish? There are lots of other species around that are going to take their place. It's not the end of the world. And Mother Nature kills off a lot more species than the humans will ever even dream of killing off. One, one giant meteor hitting the Earth 65 million years ago killed off 70 to 80 percent of the life on Earth. You really think we're going to have that big of an impact? I doubt it. I doubt it. Now, you can use the same turbine technology, these propellers that are turned by water, you can use it to, uh, uh, to uh, heat water, which is what the power plants do. They heat the water up with methane, with natural gas, or coal, or oil, or nuclear reaction. You have a controlled nuclear reaction. It creates a lot of heat, and that heat boils the water. The water turns into steam. The steam turns the, the paddle wheels on the turbine. The turbine turns the little, the little magnets or big magnets inside the coil, and there you go. you got electricity. And it's very, uh, very efficient, you know, 40, 50% of the power can be turned into electricity and we can do an even better job. If we're allowed to improve the technology, but we're being asked to shift from a whole, from, from several centuries of evolution of this technology to a whole different way of, of creating energy with solar power. Now the wind turbines are similar. Similar in that they turn, a tur- uh, they turn a generator, a turbine, and a generator, and that turbine, which are the wings, the, the propellers, that turns the little uh, uh, magnet inside of the, the coil, and that creates electricity. So that's not exactly a new technology, but again, you're very much dependent on whether or not the wind is blowing, and that's not going to work over most of the Earth's surface. So what about small nuclear reactors? We can now make little itty-bitty reactors that will feed fifty to uh, 100,000-person town that will fit nicely on several acres. And the amount of energy that you need to uh, fuel these little nuclear reactors, they look like little jet engines that are running in reverse. They've got propellers. The propellers are uh, uh, turned by the steam blowing across them, the hot steam, and the steam's produced by a small nuclear reactor. Same thing that they have in a submarine. Exact same kind of principle. The nuclear submarines say they, they're doing fine. And they're safe as can be. Yeah, we've lost a few. Yeah, there's some nuclear material sitting on the bottom of the ocean. What's going to happen to it? Well, after the ships decay all the way, after they uh, have rusted away completely, it'll just sink into the mud. Eventually it'll be recycled as the Earth's crust churns itself and turns over and over. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. So you can utilize, and the amount of the amount of nuclear material you need to power one of these little uh, micro uh, engines, these little... Microelectric plants you can hold in your hand It's unbelievable, but you can hold a, a ball of of uranium or plutonium that is necessary, the amount that is necessary to power one of these one of these small nuclear uh, reactor uh, electric generators in your hand. I mean it's going to weigh a lot. It's going to weigh thirty, forty, fifty pounds, It'd be like holding an extra heavy ball of lead. That's all you need. That's all you need. And if you think it's difficult to dispose of this, to uh, put it somewhere safe, it is not. It is not difficult. You process this stuff, and and you can actually process out uh, byproducts that are utilizable by other industries. And you can put this into glass or ceramic rods. You can bury it deep in the earth And it'll take one or 2,000 years for it to decay completely, but it's really going to be no threat whatsoever to anybody. No threat. You say, well, I'm afraid of nuclear energy. Oh, my God, what will it do to me, Dr. Bill? Okay, there was one of the nuclear physicists out at uh, Los Alamos when they were making the bomb, and he accidentally, he was carrying, uh, I forget if it was uranium or plutonium ball from one pig to another. Now, we call the lead containers that we keep radioactive materials, and we call them pigs, P-I-G-S. They're actually big lead canisters. And when I receive nuclear material at my office for a nuclear heart study, it comes in a little uh, lead pig. It's a screw top apparatus and inside there's a syringe with the predetermined dose of the radioactive isotope that I'm going to use to inject into the patient to image their heart. And so they had big pigs that they kept these materials in and you would put on your your lead jacket and your lead gloves and your, uh, your, your lead protective uh, mechanisms at that time and uh, somebody would lift it up and move it from the delivery pig over to the reactor pig. And one of the nuclear scientists, one of the young guys, he dropped it. He dropped the the ball of uranium or plutonium. And he immediately scooped down and picked it up. And he had it, uh, you know, like five feet out in front of him or 10 feet out in front of him, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But he scooped it up with his hands and carried it over and put it into the other pig. And he told everybody to immediately mark, their location, not to move, to take a piece of chalk, mark their location, and then everybody left. And he said to his friends, he said, you know, I'm a dead man. And he was. Two weeks later, he died because he received uh, so many uh, REMs or sieverts, the the two ways that we uh, calculate the amount of radiation that you get that can harm you. Uh, there's milli Rams and milli Sieverts. One is the old system. The Sieverts is the the newer system that is more compatible with the uh, with the metric system. But the other guys in the room, nobody had any problem. They didn't have. They didn't die from it because they weren't close enough. Why were they protected? Well, the amount of radiation that you will encounter drops by the by the uh, inverse of the square of your radius from how far away you are. So if you're at ground zero, it's one over one squared, and that's one. If you're 100 feet away, it's one over 100 squared, which is, what, 10,000. So you get one ten-thousandth the amount of radiation if you're standing 100 feet away from the source of the radiation. And... For us to think that we're all going to be in danger from some nuclear mishap at a nuclear reactor plant is just silly. And when I come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But right now, I'm going to go grab a cup of Joe because Joe is telling me to go get Joe and take a break. Is that right, Joe?
2: I think it's about that time. All right. With SRM News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. China's trade with the U.S. fell sharply in August as a tariff war that threatens global economic growth worsened. Imports of U.S. goods fell 22.5% from the year earlier, and exports to the U.S. sank 16%. The two governments are preparing for more trade talks. There is no immediate indication, though, of progress towards settling their fight over trade and technology. And our Associated Press data analysis shows the share of women going out of state to have an abortion has increased slightly, even as the number of abortions has declined across the country. It's much higher in some states. In New Mexico, the number of abortions performed out on out-of-state women more than doubled between 2012 and 2017. And rescue teams are still trying to reach some Bahamian communities isolated by floodwaters and debris left by Hurricane Dorian. This is SRN News.
1: 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. I'm not an actor. I was not compensated in any way for this. Byron bought a timeshare. After twelve years
0: of endless fees and broken promises, he wanted out.
1: I saw an ad by a company that talked about being able to get you out of your contract and they would sell your timeshare. They ripped me off. I found out later on that the market for timeshares is non existent.
0: So he turned to Wesley Financial Group.
1: They had a very good better business bureau rating, and after reading all the testimonials, I felt like I wanted to give them a chance.
0: Wesley Financial Group got Byron out of his timeshare contract legally.
1: If You are like me and you would like to get out of this contract, I strongly urge you to get a hold of Wesley Financial Group. They are honest and good
2: people. And I just want to thank them from the bottom of my heart.
0: For your free information kit, call 800-349-8877. 800-349-8877. Again, 800-349-8877. Hey, one of my first
1: gifts as a new Florida resident was a beautiful star on my windshield, courtesy of the Howard Franklin Bridge. But my friends at the office here told me to go to Auto Glass America. Wow. Auto Glass America took care of everything, from the paperwork with my insurance company to installing the windshield. They came to the studios in less than an hour. They put in a brand new windshield while I was doing the radio show. Wish everything was this easy. When you hear stone hitting glass and the windshield star appears, call 813 96 Glass. 813 96 Glass. Auto Glass America. Tell them Mike Gallagher sent you.
0: Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast.
2: Mostly sunny today with a high of 94. Clear to partly cloudy tonight, low 76. A shower in the area in the morning on Monday, otherwise partly sunny, high 94. Partly sunny on Tuesday, high 94. Mostly sunny on Wednesday, high 92. That is your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Madison Baggett for AM860, The Answer.
0: wheel of a large automobile, and you may
1: find yourself in a beautiful house, with a beautiful wife. And I'm back, this is Dr. Bill, yourself. your Radio MD, and uh, Joe was reminding me that you can also get my, uh, my uh, broadcast in our podcast by going to DrBillRadioMD.com, and uh, there's uh, The Vault, and you can also go to the radio station, AM860TheAnswer.com, or The Answer Tampa. Dot com and you can go to my my little weekend picture there and there's the, the, the link to get to the stored podcast as well. So if you want to pick this up and share it with friends, and, and, I, and I think it's it's a good thing because you know a lot of this is not being talked about, but we already have the ability to create relatively pollution free energy without going through all these uh, hoops and steps and rigmarole to create a whole new industry, solar and wind. Uh, but uh, it's already got a foothold, so we'll see where it goes, and I'm not opposed to it. Let's just make sure that it's going to be cost-effective. Well, the other half of this is, what about all this carbon dioxide that we're emitting? And what is the horror of this, this stuff, and where is it going, and how are we going to recycle all this? And Well, first of all, Let's put a couple of myths to bed here. There are more trees in the United States now than there were a hundred years ago. And according to one source, there are more trees in the United States now than there were when the Europeans got here. So the trees and the grasses and the plants, they eat up the carbon dioxide. They inhale that and they exhale oxygen. We inhale the oxygen and exhale the carbon dioxide. And so it's uh, it, it's a whole cycle that is going on. Now we've also had this incentive since uh, 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 the Clinton era with with uh, uh, Al Gore's Fat Man initiatives, which were to have uh, uh, green credits. And so these credits uh, they they are taxes that big polluters like. Uh, hydroelectric power companies produce so much and then they have to pay uh, 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 a tax and that tax money is taken and then used to subsidize farmers uh, to grow trees or whatever that will absorb the, the carbon dioxide and turn it back into oxygen. So there are actually more trees in the United States now than there were 100 years ago and probably at the time that the Europeans first arrived on this continent. So this nonsense about we're losing trees and we're losing forests is just baloney. Uh, Macron, the, the president of France, he got all in a snit because of the fires in the Amazon. And first of all, 70% of the oxygen that's produced on the planet is produced by the plankton, by the algae and the phytoplankton in the, in the oceans and in the waters. There's another reason to impound water we can grow plankton in fresh water that will process carbon dioxide and turn it back into oxygen that's not hard to do we know how to we know how to treat the water to get them to grow and there's more plankton growing because it's warmer especially in the coastal areas it may not be the plankton that you like or that you want but it certainly will reprocess the carbon dioxide well, what else is a good source of oxygen? Another way to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Do you have a lawn? If you keep that lawn healthy, well manicured, well watered, well fertilized, you're gonna have a greater source of oxygen production than if you put trees in all of your yard. Because there's more surface area, there's more blades of grass So there's thousands of times more surface area for for the photosynthetic process to take place and for the plants to release much more oxygen and and eat up more carbon dioxide, inhale more carbon dioxide and release more oxygen. And you can even fix more nitrogen if you plant some clover or some kind of nitrogen-fixing plants in along with your grass. So if you want to do something ecologically sound, you want to add to the ecological movement, Get your yard in shape, homeboy, homegirl. Take care of your yard. Your lawn, your sod will produce more oxygen than all the trees you can plant in your yard. And indeed, it's been shown that well-manicured sod, like on a sod farm, will produce more energy than a natural grass plain will. So the Great Plains, which were populated by natural grasses, per acre, will produce less oxygen and eat up less carbon dioxide than an acre on a sod farm. Well, you say, yeah, but, you know, what about the little animals? Where will they go to live? Well, I mean, you know, there's going to be a price to pay when you have 7 billion people on the planet. Somebody's got to move over. Now, if you think that I'm going to move over because the left wants me to. If you think that I'm gonna stop eating and passing flatus because the left wants me to, well, then you're looking at a civil war because I'm not gonna do that. I kinda like living. Uh, What are we gonna do? We're gonna get rid of all the cows, according to the left. And then who's next? Well, cats and dogs, I mean, they're not really important. And they produce methane gas and carbon dioxide. And then all of our little birds that we have as, as pets. So all of our pets are going to be gone. And when that doesn't work, who's next? Get rid of all the domestic animals, all the domesticated animals. Uh, who are we going to get rid of next? You and me. You and me. But you know what? You can stand up to these left-wingers and you can say, you I have the best lawn in the neighborhood, and I know that it produces way much more oxygen than all the trees that you could plant and I know it eats up way more carbon dioxide than all of the uh, credits all of the green credits that you can create. So we can do it we can we can do our little part each and every one of us by just planting and maintaining a really nice lawn. That's pretty cool that's pretty cool. We have that ability, and uh, I think that what we're forgetting is that even though we are consuming oxygen and kicking out carbon dioxide, our our domestication of plants and animals, our industries that we are creating are helping to reduce the carbon dioxide levels. And that if we're responsible farmers and and we're good husbands of the earth, and we practice good techniques, we're good stewards of the land, then we can have all of this, and we can have our cake and eat it too. And that doesn't mean that I'm against trying new uh, methods of producing energy that are, quote, quote, uh, more eco-friendly, but some of them are so simple and so right under our noses that it's ridiculous for us to try and think that we are going to somehow outsmart Mother Nature with newer technologies than what we already have. We can tweak what we got, and I've been saying that for decades. I've been preaching nuclear energy since I was in junior high school. Now, after the Europeans came, yes, there was a lot of logging that went on, and that, there's not much old growth for us left. And the old growth forest is, quote, quote, where all the little animals live. That's their habitat. And we don't want to harm their habitat. Okay, what animals are we talking about? Raccoons, coyotes, uh, ground squirrels, rabbits. I got all that in my neighborhood here. Almost hit a coyote coming home one night. And I'm living in St. Pete, Florida. So don't tell me that the little animals are all being killed off. They're not. Some are adjusting, some are not. That's the same in any, any time in the history of the Earth. Some figure out how to survive and some don't. It's, it's just part of the natural process, and I'm not going anywhere. So let's look at the grasses. Let's look at our own gardens. Let's see how much carbon we can suck out of the atmosphere just by doing simple basic things that we've been doing, which is to have a pretty lawn. And what about sod farms? If they produce more oxygen per square acre than the grasslands do, why don't we just plant more more, uh, sod farms? Let's have more sod. Let's outlaw artificial grass in neighborhoods. Let's outlaw gravel and sand for front yards and make people plant more grass. And it'll be healthier for us as well because we'll have to get out there and mow it and take care of it and fertilize it, be a little bit of activity, cut down on our weight, make us skinnier and prettier. I'm telling you guys, this is a great idea. I think that we should start some kind of a a new earth, new lawn society, and uh, it'd be a way to get everybody skinny and healthy and more oxygen in your lungs and eat up all that carbon dioxide. We can do this. We don't need the left to tell us that we're irrelevant to the planet. We're, what do they want? They want to get rid of everybody but themselves after we've created all the technology for them to live off of, uh, solar and wind power. Uh, I, I just I don't understand it. It's a little bit confusing to me. So will carbon sequestration redeem your front lawn? You bet your blue booties it will. Don't let anybody tell you that you're doing something bad or wrong. In the ecosystem, have you ever dug up your your front yard and seen what's in the dirt? There's a lot of life there. There's billions of bacteria, there's fungi, there's worms, there's grubs, there's microscopic insects, uh, there's birds that come and feed off of all of this, all of the activity and the seeds that are produced. There's uh, animals that you don't see because you're asleep at night that come out onto your lawn. And in uh, areas like where I live, uh, it would be easy to reintroduce uh, little deer and other grazing animals, and they'd come and eat your lawn. So there's, there's really no shortage of opportunities if we use just what we have in front of us. And I'm not so sure that we have destroyed all that many ecosystems. I think we've created a lot more than we have destroyed, and I think that the use of of smart technology, smart fertilizer management, um, smart lawn, uh, and, and by the way, in Florida, uh, the the uh, Floratam, the 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 turf that we have produced is an amazing amazing uh, genetically engineered type of grass, and that's what we have mostly in southern Florida, and in the coastal areas of Florida is this uh, Floratam. Uh, which is uh, sterile because it is invasive. It is a sterile plant, so it doesn't produce any seeds, Uh, and it is extremely tough, extremely resilient, extremely dense, and it creates a hell of a lot of oxygen and eats up a hell of a lot of carbon dioxide. So get out there and plant some in your yard and take care of it. That's an order from Dr. Bill. And you know, Doctor Bill's always right, so we don't want to uh, to uh, interfere with Doctor Bill when he's trying to lead us into the new promised land of beautiful front yards and and wonderful thick sod that you can lay down and grass, and you can have a picnic. And I mean, it's kind of hard to have a picnic on the Great Plains when you go out there because the grass is so tall that uh, if one of the kids wanders off, you might lose him in the grass and then some little animal like a, a wildcat or a wolf might eat him for supper. And of course some people say, well that's probably a good thing, one less human to pollute the earth, but if it's your kid, you might not be too happy. Okay, what about all this fertilizer stuff? What is fertilizer? Well it's it's nitrogen-based uh, source of energy that we use nitrogen in our bodies for energy and also plants use it extensively. And the main source uh, is the the urea-based compounds, uh, ammonia-based compounds. Now, urea is a natural product. It was synthesized uh, by a German about 200 years ago. But we know that it is now a natural byproduct of the the breakdown of, of our muscle tissue and of other organic processes and other organic life forms and urea is what we pee out. Uh, It's converted uh, to urea from ammonia and into urea by the liver, and then we pee it out through our kidneys. And this is a natural product, and it's also a natural fertilizer. When we put it on the land, the bacteria in the soil break it down into ammonia, and then that can be fixed by the plants and utilized and taken up and made into energy Uh, molecules, and these molecules are uh, potent molecules that help organic life forms to burn fuel and do the work of of metabolism that's necessary to survive. And urea is ubiquitous. When you go to the bathroom, you're excreting urea. Same way with the little cows and, and, and horses and donkeys and pigs. On the little farms everywhere, and they're my friends. I don't see how anybody can say get rid of cows. If you've ever been to a dairy farm, they are the sweetest animals. Those female cows are just—they're uh, just—they're—they're just, they're so warm and cuddly, and they'll come right up to you like a pet. And it's not just cows; oxen are the same way. Some of the guys that are at the lunch table that grew up in India. Uh, they grew up out in the country. They were from farming families, and they had an ox because the ox pulled the plow, and it was not part of the family. And they could also, if it was a female ox, they could milk it for milk. And uh, they would follow the kids around like pets. So if one of the kids was told to go water the ox and water the other farm animals, he'd say, come on, and they'd all follow him. To a pond or a stream or a lake or a reservoir or a trough and they get their water. And you don't think of an ox being uh, a domesticated animal. It's a bovine. Uh, there are uh, water buffaloes that are domesticated. They're bovines just like the buffalo that were on the Great Plains. There's nothing very different. And when you say that you want to get rid of these animals who are domesticated, they're sweet, they're nice, they do the exact same thing that the buffalo did and and are coexisting with us in a way that is extremely compatible and uh, uh, organic and wholesome, you are out of your mind. You have lost your mind, folks. And that's what the left has done. It has lost its mind. So I'm giving you fuel to go talk. Talk about hydropower plants. Talk about planting your lawn. Talk about uh, recapturing methane. uh, Talk about ways to decrease uh, the escape of of some of these uh, gases into the atmosphere. Let people know that the number one greenhouse gas is not carbon dioxide, not methane. It's water. Let's recapture the water. Let's impound the water. We've got a lot of things we can do. Hey, Joe, it's been a great show, buddy. I've had a fall. I agree. Hey, man, I love this. And we got a little bit of talking heads as we're on the way out the door. How much time we got left? Ten whole seconds. I'll let it go. Let it roll, bro. I'm out of here. See you next week.